Good morning. Usually that doesn't happen until I'm about halfway through the message. But uh, <laughs> so I did want to, one of the announcements you saw, I wanted to reiterate this, was the newcomer's lunch at our house. Today, we, uh, if you are newer, you know, like the last six months, year, 20 years, something like that, if you're newer and you have not been to a newcomer's lunch, we want to invite you to do that. It's just a way to get to know our, our leadership and the, our staff, those kind of things. The board will be there, different, uh, different department heads throughout the church and things, and we get to talk to you about what, what Church of Prairie is, what, what is our DNA, why do we look at certain things certain ways, and you get lunch. And, um, and I saw what my wife was cooking, and it's one of my favorite things that she makes, and so I'll just leave it at that. Um, but you're, you're invited. If you haven't already signed up online, then just come let me know just before you leave, and we'll, we'll go straight from here to lunch. In fact, most everybody gets there before I do. But uh, just join us at the house, and, and, uh, and I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll get to know everybody a little bit better and know kind of – we talk about plugging people in, too. What does that mean? Where, do, where can you do stuff and things, and you'll know a little bit more about that. So I did want to give you a, a, build, a building update. This is uh, – so if you've been walking with us through this, we can't, we can't get a loan. Uh, loan. The ability to get a loan is get becoming much more difficult. Uh, the, the average lender out there has told us that it's about 55% uh, loan to value for what we're trying to accomplish right now, which means we'd have to have about half in cash, and uh, that's not where we're at with all of that. So we just keep putting money in, in a savings account, keep trying to get to that point, and then uh, we're also looking at doing some other things. We just had a meeting with the city this week about uh, rezoning our property, uh, mostly all that out there. And um, that will be so that we can sell the, the corner down there, do something like that. We don't, we don't know what that is. We don't have anybody interested in that. They won't be interested until we rezone it. And so we're, that's what we're doing right now. It'll take quite a while to get it rezoned, and then we'll be able to at least look at some options going down there. I, I have talked to uh, Rudy's Barbecue about um, coming in down there. You think I'm joking, but I'm not. <laughs> Would, wouldn't that be nice to, to smell Rudy's Barbecue while I'm speaking? You got the mountains, you got barbecue. What more could you want? So, um, so we're, we're trying to get all that set. And some things that we're also doing is looking at um, we've uh, talked to the plans already have on it uh, different things that are going to change, like landscaping and stuff, as we expand, do all that. And by the way, if, you, if this is all new to you, out in the foyer on the other, other side of the table over there, on the wall by my office is the uh, plans and everything. You can go look at those. But we're going to – we've talked to the landscapers about landscaping from this driveway over here all the way around to the top parking lot over here. And that's on the plans. It's part of it. The money that we'll be spending toward that will just not be included in what uh, we have to do later. And so we're looking at a few things like that, but we don't want to go overboard with some of that because we have to have money in the bank. That is the biggest thing is we have to have money in the bank. And so, so if you're a, if it, it, a lot of people give differently when it comes to <clears throat> the building and things. Some of you give every month. Uh, some of you are like uh, project-oriented givers and things like that. We'll be letting you know what all the landscaping is going to cost us. There's a lot of stuff they're doing out here. And then it will give you, we'll give you the price tag over the next couple weeks. We, we did get a... Uh, bid in uh, late this last week, and uh, we'll, we'll probably share that with you next week if we have it all lined out, and then you can contribute toward that if you desire, and, um, and we'll, just keep you, we'll just keep you up on all of that. Um, I did want to uh, mention a couple things that have been happening in the news. One of these things is, um, uh, you probably paid attention to some of this, but the, th this last spring, the CDC had a big gathering of all um, Centers for Disease Control employees, and all of these CDC employees, about 1,400 of them, they gathered together, and only about six or seven of them were not vaccinated when they all gathered together. And uh, now we're realizing that some of this stuff was reported, some of it was purposely kept quiet, and the numbers are even much higher. But the for sure we know over 200 people uh, that were vaccinated at the CDC conference caught COVID at the conference. I know I'm not making this stuff up. This is, 
This is better than the Babylon Bee, right? Another 600 had a lot of symptoms, but they didn't fill out the surveys and they didn't talk to anybody about it. And so we don't know exactly whether they had COVID or not, but they had all the same symptoms that all the people did. And then they also reported that uh, they didn't go, nobody went to the hospital, but that's not true. There was multiple people that went to the hospital um, because of this. And so my thinking is the way to stay healthy is stay away from the CDC, <laughs> stay away from the WHO, stay away from NIH, stay away from all those things, and you'll probably be all right. You know, interesting, I've not seen anything online, I've not heard one person, not one anywhere in media and anything that has said, man, I wish I would have got the vaccine. <laughs> Thought about that? Another thing that happened, I saw this in the news, this is, this is one of those things that you're just kind of reading through, and it, and it caught my eye, and I was like, what? And I had to go back and look this up, because I wanted to read some of this article. Is, um, the article was about, this was the headline. July, and it was July 26th that they were talking about. July had the hottest day on record. Now, this is the rest. I'm not making this up. July had the hottest day on record for the last 200,000 years. <laughs> we, we struggle figuring out the weather for next week. Tell me how they knew what the temperature was 200,000 years ago. This stuff is a joke. We are living in a lie. We're living in a, in a fairyland mentality right now where you can just say stuff, you put it on the news, and, and everybody goes with it. It's, uh, it's just this is a way we're supposed to believe, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit in the message here in a second. Um, I also wanted to mention when it comes to the, to the growth and all the stuff, we've been tracking this for a while now, knowing what we need to do. We're looking at... Um, Here's, I have two requests, one request and then explaining something. As it gets fuller in this service, we really need, it's not too bad this morning, but we really need some people to start going to first service. Is it that bad? Um, just because the more we fill up here, and by the way, first service is filling up too, but we need to kind of offset some of this. We are looking at that where we're going over the next six months, we know that probably by Thanksgiving at the, at the latest, by the end of the year, we're going to have to figure out how to go to three services. Um, it's going to be challenging because here's, here's one of our biggest deals with three services is uh, volunteers. It's who, who's going to do all the stuff? We're, we're already kind of thin in a lot of areas. In fact, we were talking about this with the cafe recently. We just need a lot more people in the Missions Cafe. Um, we need more back in the booths. We need more nursery, preschool. We need all kinds of stuff. When we go to three services, we will have all of the ministries that we have in these two services already. And uh, so we just need people to help. I did get uh, some of the older crowd, because I mentioned them last week. Uh, some of the older crowd was asking me about this. It was not a negative. It was a good thing. Nobody came to me and said, yeah, you're old or whatever, right? nothing like that. But uh, really was pushing to the older crowd last week. We don't just sit back and do nothing. Do something. Um, there's not a retirement mentality, I don't believe, within the kingdom of God. And so, so do stuff. And, and we need a lot of help with inside this building. But really, most of what God is asking us to do is not inside this building. It's out in the community. Figure out what God is telling you to do and do, and do that. And be obedient to what God is telling you. Don't ever get a retired mentality. Or another thing that happens with different age groups is, well, I'm too busy. or I, whatever, that's, That stuff's not true. We have the ability to do what God's called us to do because if God's called us, then all the other stuff that's hindering that is not what God wants us doing. He wants us to be doing his calling. And so just be thinking about that. If you want to volunteer for something around here, we got people that will train you, teach you, do all those kind of things. And, uh, and it's also a lot of fun. Um, most of the time it's fun. I'll, fifth grade boys just popped into my head. So I, maybe not everything is fun, but some of you have a specific calling for fifth grade boys, and for some reason, you like that, and so we want to acknowledge that and support that. I am going to start not this uh, Wednesday night coming up, but the, f the following week, I'm going to start a uh, series on Wednesday nights on the book of Ezekiel. We're going to go through a lot of stuff in the book of Ezekiel, and then when we get to, I'm not going to be going straight down the line, but, but we're going to be going through some. When I get toward the end, 
or get to the Battle of Gog and Magog, I'm going to speak two messages um, in, in the Sunday service about this. But it won't be near as detailed as what we're going to be looking at on Wednesday night. So just letting you know that. I spoke this week at, oh, I wanted to tell you a little story before I jumped in this. This is a great little story. So Linda and I were driving in the car uh, this last week, and, and we'd been talking about this for a few weeks or something or, or in the past. I don't remember why the conversation came up. But we saw these two dogs in the back of a pickup. And, uh, and my daughter-in-law has mentioned before that she, that scares her. She doesn't like that. The dogs will jump out or whatever the case is. And so I was kind of processing this and looking at those two dogs, and I was defending this, defending the dogs, that uh, they're probably not going to jump out, right? I, I remember having dogs in the back of pickups when I was growing up, I, and the reason is because I was in the back of the pickup with the dogs, right? We did that back in the day. Some of you now are like, there's no way you did that. Yes, we even like held down bags of trash and things like that <laughs> with the weight of our bodies. And uh, dogs would be in there, and they wouldn't jump out. And, and so we were just talking about this, and I said, they, the dogs like it. They're not going to jump out. It's, it's fun for the dogs or whatever. And Linda then said, yeah, and they've been doing this for centuries. <laughs> now, she immediately went, wait a second. You know, you'd see in her head. Yeah, not centuries. That kind of thing. But I did tell her when she said it, I said, she said, okay, okay, whatever. I'm going to back that up. But I did tell her, you're, you know you're going to hear this again, right? It's going to come up. All right, this last week I spoke at um, <clears throat> Life Network, did a chapel thing for them, and <clears throat> with a lot of their, um, their employees. And I, and I was trying to, you know, give, give kind of the gravity of what's going on. And I was also doing this as a representative slash I'm also, you can't take the pastor away, you know, kind of thing. And just talking about how they're really, they're really frontline kind of thing. They really are front lines. That they are responsible for direct contact with a pregnant mother and help her see what's going on and saves Thousands of babies in the process. That's front line. That's right up in your face front line stuff. And talk to them about it. Encourage them. You know, don't get weary in doing well. And and there was this, there's this mentality that I think has been propagated by the church for a long time. It's it's been fostered. It's been developed by the church for a long time. That the church is not actually front line. Right. That uh, we're, we, we come to our church and we're safe in our church and then we go out there. And even out there is not necessarily the front line. Um, we, you, have to, you have to go to somewhere like Life Network, a, uh, a, a pregnancy center, to actually interact in the front line mentality. And I think we've been taught that in the church. We've been taught that the church is really kind of spectator. Uh, we come in and we, we have church and then during the rest of the week we kind of do our own thing. And then we come back on the weekend and we, and we watch church again. Sometimes we might even get involved by singing or something like that. But this idea that we are, are frontline warriors in a battle that is going on every single second around us, that's actually the opposite of how a lot of the church looks at this stuff. And part of the reason is you just take the subject of abortion, and, and there's a lot of churches, overwhelmingly amount of churches throughout Colorado Springs that will not address the issue of abortion because they're scared to lose people. This is... But here's a, here's a reality. Babies are dying so that you can have an extra few people uh, given to the offering. That's a, that's a very dangerous place for the church to be. Because for me, you cross a line and you're no longer about the kingdom of God. You're about the kingdom of self, kingdom of your church. I, I, I think that what, has happened, what is happening in the church is that now there, if there even was a front lines out there, which I don't think there ever really was, if there was, that's been... That's been uh, busted through, and the front lines are everywhere we step every single day. That there are lives and people and, and situations and language and everything that's going on, that we are, in, we are in the battle every single day, and you are on the front line. Every single one of us in this building are on the front lines of the battle. We have to, we have to see that. Somewhere in our spirit there has to be this understanding. Wait a second. I am a key 
player in this battle every single day. What am I going to do about that? How, how am I going to think about that? How, what, am I, what, am, what are my actions going to be? Are, does anything change during the day if I recognize that? Because I think you live differently. I think, I think you think differently. I think you process differently. When you start to say, wait a second, I'm, I'm actually fighting a battle here. Me, personally. Not us like as a couple or as a family. Whatever. That's all true too. But me, I am personally fighting a battle constantly. And this is a battle between good and evil, between God and between Satan, between life and death. These, these are real things going on around us on a regular basis. But I don't think we've been trained that way. I think the church actually does the opposite. It's, I, don't think that, I don't think it's been neutral is what I'm saying. I'm not, I, I don't think that we just have arrived here and we're just dealing with this. I think the church has been long decades and decades, maybe even centuries, have been teaching us that that we, are, we don't have to engage. We have a, a Pharisee mentality in the church that's being taught by the church while using them as the example of what we're not supposed to be. Doing the religious things, coming to church, doing all the stuff in a church mentality, and then during the week we do act like Christians and do some of this stuff. I'm not addressing our Christianity. I'm, a, I'm addressing how we think and process through all this. And then we come back to church and do all the church stuff, but in our, in our daily lives... There's not this um, overwhelming souls getting saved, lives being transformed, people being uh, healed, all these other kind of things, some of the stuff I talked about last week. So, so where, where is all of that stuff in our relationship with God? That's what's supposed to be there. We're supposed to walk in a supernatural mentality. We're supposed to be witnessing to people. We're supposed to be praying for people. That, that doesn't happen for the most part. In the, and I'm talking to church across the nation. So... So we keep teaching and propagating the same thing, this, this um, Pharisee mentality. You do all the stuff. Jesus said you, you tie to the nth degree, but you don't understand what it is to love people, right? That's, that's, that's what the church teaches. Do all the stuff. Do all the stuff. Come to our services. Come to our services. Do all the stuff. Instead of sacrifice yourself to Jesus Christ, and your and your living is no longer the priority of you. It's got to come from Jesus Christ. That you are a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, let me let me unpack some of this for you. I want to start out in Matthew chapter four, <clears throat> and I think we kind of know this, but you realize our our children are in danger from the moment of conception. Our children are in danger. Satan is trying to kill them in the womb, groom them as four, five, six-year-olds. And I still have Democrats that say to me, no, there's no such thing as grooming. I had four different people send me uh, pictures of four different books this last week that are in public schools for five-year-olds to read about their sexuality and choice of gender. I've got, I've got one of these books on my desk, little, little small little book. And uh, it, it talks about, shows a little boy, a little five-year-old boy looking in the mirror saying, am I a boy or am I a girl? And we say we're not grooming? That's, that's just Satan gaslighting. And, and the church just goes, oh, it's probably not that big of a deal. Guys, when, do we, when, when does the church truly rise up and say enough's enough? I think we've had these little brief moments, and I think we're getting there. In fact, I'm more... I'm more positive about that right now than ever before. But it's, it's like this compared to the big picture. When does the church say, not on my watch? Sex change surgeries for 12-year-old girls. When do we say, no, you cannot do this? I'm, I'm going to show you something about that in a minute. But Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. It's a very important start of this sentence. Jesus was led by the Spirit. This was not accident. This is, wasn't um, like he just accidentally ended up somewhere out in the wilderness or whatever. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Now, what was going to happen when he got there? He was going to be tempted by the devil. Now, God does not tempt us. He never does that. He will allow us to go through trials and tribulations. There's no doubt about that. He, he, we must go through those things. 
That's how we grow. That's how we mature. It's not fun at the time, but we have to go through those things. And sometimes we go through them because we're hard-headed, right? But we have to go through this stuff. Uh, but, but God isn't tempting us to sin. He will never do that. Scripture is pretty clear about that. But it does say that the Holy Spirit led Jesus out in the wilderness. He knew Satan was going to try to tempt him. He knew this was going to happen. But here is what was also going on, is he knew Jesus could do this. Now, this is very important. Now, I want to state this before I get too farther into this, so there's no confusion. When Jesus was um, incarnated and living on this earth in human flesh, he was operating as a human being. He was not operating as God. This is very important theologically, and it's also important for us practically in our lives. Jesus was, he had voluntarily put the deity of who he was. He was still 100% God. That wasn't taken away. You could not take God away from himself. But the, the ability or the uh, choice to operate as God, Jesus voluntarily set that um, on the mercy seat. That's what he goes and gets later when he puts his blood there. Okay? Is he puts the deity back on. But Jesus did not operate as God. And part of the reason that we know that, and this is actually more than just knowing it cognitively, but this is important how we live this out, is that uh, if Jesus was operating as God, then when he said you could do all the things that I'm doing and even greater things, that would be a lie. Because you'll never be God and you cannot do the things that Jesus did as God. But you can do the things that Jesus did under the power of the Holy Spirit. So when it says that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, that means you can say no to sin just like Jesus said no to sin. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who's helping him do this. It wasn't because he was God that he was saying no to sin. And I've even had people, even seminary and, and still to this day, that well, I'll have people that argue and say, well, Jesus uh, couldn't sin. He was God. He couldn't sin. If you think he couldn't sin, then you don't understand what salvation is. The reason that we have salvation is because he could sin, but he didn't. And therefore, that when he died on the cross, he was doing this in place of us as a human, not as God. Okay, so Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, just like you and I can be led by the Holy Spirit. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. I don't think you have to have the end of that sentence, but they, Matthew felt like he needed to include it. Oh, and by the way, he was really hungry. 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted. And this is something important about the fasting concept here. If you've never fasted, this, let me give you some, some insight that I learned. I, I started fasting years ago, and, uh, and it was very different than what I thought it was going to be. I didn't understand. I really hadn't studied this. I hadn't gone into Scripture and looked at some things. I just knew fasting was something we should do, and I didn't know anybody that was doing it. And uh, one of the things that I found out is when you fast, you're not in this, like, great spiritually enlightened state. Okay. That's, that's um, transcendental meditation. That's a whole different arena of spirituality that Christians should not be involved with, all right? But this idea that I really thought, okay, I'm going to fast, and I went on an extended fast, and I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to glow like Moses by the time this is over, <laughs> right? Because I'm doing a spiritual thing, right? I'm fasting. That's spiritual, and it's good spiritual. So, and, and I thought maybe I would levitate just a little bit. Not totally, because that would look weird. But just like where my feet were barely touching the ground, like a skateboard, right? I literally thought that kind of stuff. The heavens were going to open. God says, this is my beloved Scott and who I'm well pleased. All those kind of things. But here's what I found out when you actually fast. It's very not spiritual. You do not feel. See, see, what happens is we are trained in the church world to live so much by the way we think and the way we feel that when it comes to the actual spirituality of what's going on, we're a little shallow, a little not mature sometimes. But, but we've been taught in the church world, everything's emotional, up and down, mental, up and down, and we're going to be excited, and we're all going to worship God, and then everything's going to be great. And then, and then you read on Facebook where somebody else is having the best life ever, which is not ever true. And, and then you think, well, my life's not that good. And so then we're down and we're discouraged and we're depressed. And I really believe the number one reason for depression in today's society is unmet expectation. This is what I think it's supposed to be, and it turns out not. But everybody else is living uh, the good life like that, which is not true. 
spiritual maturity carries you regardless of what's going on with emotional and mental up and down. It's all connected within us. But when the emotional is up and down, our spiritual maturity will help us to stay focused on God and His Word instead of all of the stuff that we're doing. All the things oftentimes that comes along with church mentality and church life. A lot of that's emotional mentality up and down. It's actually designed that way. And, and we want everybody to get excited and everybody, you know, whatever they're supposed to do in exciting churches. Um, that's what we're supposed to do. Instead of saying, wait a second, I came here for what reason? I need to know Jesus. Really know Jesus. Not the things about him. Not watch other people get excited about him. But I need to know him. And that comes from his word. And so we stay consistent in his word. Fasting gets you to the point where you are are pushing off the normal thought processes and attitudes of your existence, and you're sacrificing yourself to Jesus Christ. And then when the fast is over, you'll be amazed at how, how powerful your prayers feel at that time. Not during the fast. The only thing you want during the fast is eat. <laughs> I mean, that kind of makes sense, right? Because you can com- become very hungry when you're fasting. But it's saying no to self. Lord, I need you. I want to spend time with you instead. Discipline yourself. Okay? So during that time, the devil came to Jesus and said to him, if you are the son of God, I'm not going to go any farther. He starts talking about the different temptations, takes Jesus up on top of a a temple, does all these different things. But I just want to stop there. If you are the son of God. See, this is, when we're looking at front lines mentality, this is the front line. In fact, if you really process this, this battle at this moment was the biggest battle going on in the entire universe. Nothing was going to come close to this battle. Because see, if Jesus could convince, I'm mean, sorry, if Satan could convince Jesus to sin, he wins. He wins everything. There is no salvation if Jesus uh, falters at this point. And I've even had people argue that these are mostly professors in seminary that argue dumb things. But they, they'll say, well, you know, Jesus would have made sure, I mean, God would have made sure we had salvation anyway. Really? I don't see one sentence in the Bible that would back that up. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we behold the glory of God in that. Jesus became flesh. And nobody else could do that. So every, every demon in hell, everything that Satan had at his disposal was set up to keep Jesus from, from uh, standing up against this temptation. You've heard me talk about this too with the cross. That Jesus dies on the cross and he was in the grave for three days. It says he went and got the keys to, to uh, death, hell, and the grave. And, and then the scripture says, the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead will quicken my physical body, the, the physicalness of who I am. Well, if the Holy Spirit will quicken my physical body, and he was the one who rose Jesus from the dead, him quickening my physical body is much simpler and easier, easier than fighting the, the demons of hell trying to keep Jesus in the grave. Again, this was the, the biggest battle happening at that time. Because if Satan could keep Jesus in the grave, there's no salvation. If Jesus, if Satan could convince Jesus to sin in the wilderness, there's no salvation. It doesn't get any more frontline thinking than this. But then the scripture says that the same Holy Spirit will quicken my mortal body, and it's seemingly to say in the same concept. In other words, I am also frontline, and the Holy Spirit needs to empower me because I am frontline. This is one of the things that I, I constantly hear throughout the church in different settings, is there are there are entire denominations, seminaries that are, that are preaching that we don't need the Holy Spirit or we don't have the Holy Spirit the same way that they did in the book of Acts. Well, my question is, why not? We're still people. We're still the front line. Satan is still trying to destroy us. He doesn't want anybody to be saved. He doesn't want the church moving forward or the kingdom of God growing. And so we need the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in Corinthians, everything. We need all this stuff just as much now as they did then. Or a, a, a legitimate argument would be we might even need these things more nowadays 
Because we're approaching the end times very quickly. So we need the gifts of, of healing. We need prophecy. We need uh, speaking in tongues. We need all that stuff. Why? They needed it then. We're living in the same planet under the same paradigm, which is we need Jesus Christ. And Satan will fight against that, but the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth with him. That's the reality. Satan's going to fight against everything you do. And that's becoming more and more the case. I just talked to a guy yesterday. He was um, one of the guys out of the uh, church that I used to pastor. They had invited me down <clears throat> to be in their hometown days parade. And I was on the float because the hometown days mentality was, um, I think, something past and present or something. And I was representing the past. At least they didn't, like, put me in a wheelchair or give me a, a walker or something. But I was down there, and I was talking with, with one of the guys, great, great leader in that church. He was one of my board members for years. And he was talking about this. He said, you know, it's just got to the point where all the gloves are off. Satan's not even hiding this stuff anymore. All of the, all of the groups out there, whichever group you want to think about, they're not, they're not hiding it anymore. They'll tell you, we're coming after your children. They're, we're coming after your babies. There's nothing you can do about it. Guys, we're front line and we need power. Not just a form of church, not just a form of godliness, not just coming every now and then and, and watching church. We need power. And this power is, is the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. We need power. You need power at work every day. You need power in the community. If nothing else, nowadays you need power teaching your children what's actually going on in society. There are, there are, some, there are some great teachers out there. We need to come along beside them and stand strong and solidarity with teachers. But there's also some bad ones that they have an agenda and they're trying to destroy our kids. And they are intentionally trying to hurt and harm our children. We need the power to teach our kids this, stand up against this stuff, and know when actually to go and get engaged. I've been saying this forever, guys. Let me, let me beg you. Please get involved in the school districts. Go, become a board member, a school board member. Run for school board. Do something. Engage in, that's frontline stuff. Engage in this stuff. You say, well, I don't know if I, you know, I don't think I'm qualified to do this. If you're a parent, you're qualified. Here's another one. If you're not a parent, you're qualified. Being a Christian is, is the most important thing we need in those board member positions. And not just some of this weak nothingness that we're seeing from a lot of Christians. I mean, really be a strong leader. As some of you in here right now, you, you would be a better board member than most of the other board members out there. Do it. Just do it. You say it's scary. Yeah, welcome to my world. Just do it. We need some of this stuff. 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is the story of David and Goliath, but I'm going to do the same thing that I did with the, with the Scripture above. I'm going I'm to limit where I'm going with this. I'm going to kind of trim uh, some of this to try to stay focused on the subject. First uh, Samuel chapter 17, verse 1. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between those places. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the, near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley in between. So you got Philistine army over here, Israelite army over here in the big valley. This is the front lines, right? These are the front lines. Now there's no fighting happening. There's no battle. And we're going to realize that this that these lines aren't actually the front line. The front line becomes out in the middle of the valley. Right? And we'll show you some things here. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. I just saw a thing online the other day. This guy was doing some teaching on David and all this. And it comes to, to Goliath and he says, now we understand that nine feet tall is just a kind of an English word that we're using to describe this. Goliath was not near that tall. Goliath was not that much taller than the Israelites, but the Israelites were short. Just, just read what the Bible says and take it at face value. 
See, here's the crazy thing. This is what I always bring out in these stories. He had no problem believing in David, had no problem believing in Goliath, but he couldn't believe how tall Goliath was. That was his sticking point. The, the stone going across and hitting Goliath right in the middle, he had no problem with that, but, but he couldn't deal with Goliath being nine foot tall. I, I don't understand this kind of stuff. Plus, he describes the weight and everything of all this stuff, the, 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 how big the spear was. Goliath would have had to have been that big or he couldn't have carried all this stuff. So that was just a side. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of the spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam. But, you know, he wasn't that tall. Just the Israelites were short. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion. Now, he, he says truth here. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. This is This is true. And this is the sad part of the story. That sentence is the saddest part of this story. But it's true. He was telling the Israelites, you're, you, you can say you follow God, you can say you do all this stuff, but the only reason you're out here is because Saul has gathered you together as the army. David is the only one that said, wait a second, aren't we out here to fight for God the Father? Aren't we out here to fight for the king of all kings and the victor of all battles? Shouldn't we not let these Philistines attack our God? Saul and all the rest of the Israelites tried to quiet and David, tried to keep David quiet, including his brothers. David, you don't know what you're talking about. That's, look how big that guy is. He says, you're only out here to, uh, ser as servants of Saul. It's true. As this, is, this is where it gets me about what is, who are we and what is our, our, um, what is our relationship with God? Do we really recognize that God is the victor of all battles? That, do we know that he's in charge? Or that when the Goliaths of life come up and say, hey, you're only serving and he names something, is it true or not true? You're only the servants of whatever, um, money. You're only the servants of yourself. You're only the servants of this or what. At what point does that not true? And we say, no, I'm servant of God. And David, is, David, David comes out and he is offended by Goliath. He's offended by Goliath in this whole thing. And here's something else that seems to be normal then and it seems to be normal now, but it shouldn't be, is Goliath comes out and he establishes the rules of engagement. And the Israelites accept his rules of engagement. They don't have to. Why didn't Saul just say, uh, no, we're not taking your deal, charge? Right? And all the Israelites charge and kill Goliath in the process as they run over him and start attacking the rest of the Philistines. Why did they allow Goliath to set the terms of how they're going to interact with the Philistines? Why didn't they let God set those terms? This is one of the things, I've mentioned this before, but this is one of the things in, <clears throat> that comes... Um, when I'm in the Capitol, when I'm on the floor discussing a bill or something like that, the, um, the Democrats will get up and, and say, this is a bill that we're going to uh, present, and this is the title of it. Ever. And then they say, and these are the seven or eight words that you're not allowed to use. And every time they do that, I'm like, ah. You know, the hair on the back of my neck gets out. I get a piece of paper, and I, and I start writing down all the words. Because why? I don't want to forget to use every one of them. They may say seven words. What if I only remember to use six? And I'll do that. It drives me crazy. How dare you set the rules of engagement for me? How dare you set the rules of anything for me? God is the one that's in charge of my life. And plus, I have this little thing called the First Amendment that says I can say stuff. So, so for me, I'm not going to let somebody else set the rules of engagement. I'm definitely not going to let God, uh, Satan set the rules of engagement. I'm going to let God set the rules of engagement. God, who am I? Who, who do you want me to be? And, and, and here's the thing with David is that David just got to the point where he was like, this is not okay. He's just a teenager. And he's saying, this is not okay. 
You are attacking my God, and I'm not going to let you do it. I may be just a little teenager, but I am not going to let you attack my God. And this little teenager turned into one of the greatest warriors of all time, and it started at that moment when he said, nope, I'm not going to let you define the the engagement. I'm not going to let you define this battle. I'm not going to let you define me. You may define the king and all the others, but you're not going to define me. And he went after Goliath because he knew that God was bigger than Goliath. I was was thinking about this. Um, I've told this story before, but uh, years ago, I I was, um, there was a a lady in our church that had um, got pregnant, but not with her husband. It was this other guy. And then she was having these uh, health problems, and so she went to the hospital like headaches and stuff. She went to the hospital. And, um, and while I'm there, I go to visit him, her and her husband. While I'm there, this other guy walks in that was uh, the father of the child. Okay. And, and I told him, I said, you, you really don't need to be here. And, and the father did too. But the father's kind of a slimmer frame kind of guy and smaller. And this other guy was fairly big. And, and so he, the father was very intimidated by this. And and uh, so I began to say to this guy, you need to leave. You don't, this is, you don't need to be here. That's my child. Yeah, because you committed sin. The only thing you are is a seed. You're not a dad. You're not a father at this moment. You're just a seed. You, you don't need to be here. And he did respect me. All these people went to our church. And so I know you're like, what? But, <laughs> but so I, I did have a good enough relationship with this guy. I finally just told him, get out in the hall. So we went out in the hall. And he's, and he's getting really upset at me. And, uh, and he's starting to get in my face now. And I had my three kids with me because Linda was out of town. So they're there with me. We were just going to drop by the hospital, pray, and go to, like, a fun place. And uh, they're there. And so there's a little waiting room right across the hall. And so uh, my oldest was about nine at the time. So Isaac and, and Emily were much younger. And... Um, so we go into this waiting room, and there's toys and stuff there, and immediately Isaac and Emily start playing with the toys. But Jonathan knows there's something not right here. So he's standing over here, and this guy is here, and he's, this guy's kind of getting in my face about it, and then he starts getting more belligerent. And, um, and I was much younger at the time, um, so I started saying things like, well, when you feel froggy, jump, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> and, uh, and that wasn't helping. I recognize that now. I recognize I should have handled that a little differently, but I'm getting irritated. This guy keeps poking me in the chest and all this. And, and so Jonathan's there, and he realizes this is, is a confrontational thing. So he gets up against the wall, and he moves all the way around the room, and he's scooting like this. He gets all the way around the room until he's right here, and I'm standing beside the wall. And then he steps out in front of me and goes. And I thought to myself, mm, they're not helping. But, but I do get this. See, I, I wish we were more like that, right? When it came to God, you're not going to mess with my God. You're not going to mess with his word. You're not going to mess with truth. And as feeble and as little as it may look to Satan when we go like this, but see, God's standing right behind us. And God's going to take care of God's name. One of his names is, is um, the victor of all battles. Jehovah Nishi. Nisi, yeah, Jehovah the victor of all battles. He's going to do the fighting, but I do believe God wants us to stand up and say, you're not going to mess with my God. I think he wants us to do that. I think he wants us to stand up. It's all through scripture. The, the, everybody was caving and giving in and doing all this stuff, but then three children, Hebrew children stand up. And then David stands up. And then Jeremiah stands up. And Elijah stands up. You go all through scripture of when they stood up in the face of Satan and said, you're not going to win this one. Not because of their own power, but because the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit that's going to quicken my mortal body. He is, he is the everything, but he wants us to stand up and say, that's my God, bring it. You, you don't get to, to tell me what my language is. You don't get to set the rules of engagement. You don't get to do all this stuff. I'm serving God. I, I'll... I'll finish. Some, I'm not, not finished the story, but I'll tell you another part of that little story. <clears throat> this one has nothing to do with the message. I just remembered this part. 
um, there was this, the mother, the grandmother of the lady in the hospital room, she had come out with me, and, uh, and she was standing right behind me in this waiting room. She's about this high, and in her 70s, mid-70s, and she grabs onto the back of my belt back here, and I can feel her doing that. I was like, I'm doing something, I'm doing something, you know, that kind of thing. She grabs the back of my belt, and she starts swinging at this guy <laughs> and hitting this guy around me. That also did not help the situation. <laughs> and it eroded very quickly after that. And the whole time she's like pulling my bone, like, what are you doing? Stop this. This is not helping. But that had nothing to do with that. So <clears throat> few things here. Number one, we're on the front lines right now. Because you're on the front lines. I'm on the front lines. When you go to the grocery store, you're on the front lines. When you go to work and they try to tell you what you can say and what you can't say. You know, it's interesting to me how many, there are lawsuits all over the country right now. I know there's one with a nurses group that um, they're suing the, the HR department because the nurses, the HR department said they couldn't use certain terms having to do with the LGBT community. They couldn't use certain terms. And the nurses are suing them and they're winning. They've already won uh, one thing. The hospital has appealed. There's, there's cases all over the United States right now where groups and businesses and, and even government um, entities are suing because you do not have the right to tell us what we can say and what we cannot say. As we are winning this battle, and I'll give you another one. I'll give you a big one. Maybe you haven't seen this, but I pay very close attention to this stuff. And if just me saying this, you, you start looking, you'll notice this. A lot of the media stuff that even two or three years ago was so strong about transgender stuff is now almost completely silent out there. It's very, very quiet on the transgender front. Here's the reasons I think, in fact, I think it's common sense, but, but it may not be totally the reason, but here's the reasons I think, is because Bud Light and Target and, and, and many other companies down the line that are losing so much money because they decided to go woke. I, I, you know, the statement is, go woke, go broke. But they can't see, these are people that are paid millions of dollars a year that can't seem to see this. Go woke, go broke. Because America is not that, and it's being forced upon us. I saw the other day that the uh, transgender Bud Light guy had to uh, flee to Peru <laughs> because he was being threatened. Does he know what Peru is? That's not like this overly wonderful free country. But he decided to flee to Peru. Because it's weird where we are in a country. But I do know you can stand up. You have a lot more rights than you think you do. These lawsuits are proving this. You have a lot more rights. When they say, well, you've got to call me he, she, whatever the case is. The biggest one that gets me is like they. You've got to call me they. Well, I do see in Scripture where we called somebody they. His name was Legion because he had so many devils. But I, the idea of calling somebody they, my English teacher from high school would not let me do that. I cannot call you they. I can call you they, but not a person. And so why do we let, why do we let this stuff happen? We don't have to. You have a whole lot more rights than you think you do. Now, once you stand up for those rights, they, you may get called into HR and have uh, things charged against you or whatever the case is. You just got to know that going in. But it, it, it is seemingly becoming much more stronger across our country. You're going to win that fight. You're going to win it. And if you, say, if you get called into HR office, tell them, say, I would like to invite my local representative to come down and talk with you about this, and then just give me a call. I get paid for this stuff. Couple things under the first point. Are you willing to fight? And here's a big one, I think. Do we understand the gravity of the fight sometimes? It's easy to get caught up in the routine of life and not realize how important this fight is. It's for our kids, it's for our country, it's for our freedom. It's for the ability to be able to minister to people and have church and all these other kind of things. The second thing, whether or not we become a slave is our choice. You choose this. When Goliath came up and said, okay, these are the rules of engagement. If you guys lose, you're my slaves. They didn't have to go by that. They were just kind of accepting this. 
Saul was just accepting this. Again, why didn't Saul say, no, you're not the boss of me? I mean, think about that. Make a choice. I'm not going to surrender. I'm not going to give in to this stuff. I'm not going to give in to when Satan tries to destroy me and my family or my marriage. I'm not going to give in when he tries to tempt me to sin. I'm not going to do any of this stuff. Why? Because I will not be a slave to Satan. I'm going to be a slave to Jesus Christ. I'm not going to hide. One of the things that, that keeps me motivated sometimes is the fact that I have two little grandkids now, and I'm fighting for those little kids. I can't not. Even if, even if everybody around them may say, well, it's not that big of a deal, but it is. It is. We, are already, we have already lost so much ground over the last 20, 30 years. But if you're younger, you may not see it or recognize it, but I'm old enough to remember when these things, you didn't talk about this stuff this way. You didn't act this way. You didn't think this way. And to be openly, blatantly full of sin and to, to, to uh, uh, celebrate that in positions of leadership and stuff like that, that didn't exist. They were sinful people, but you didn't celebrate this as a country. And we, we've gone too far. My, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to fight for my kids and all this stuff, my grandkids. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2, people may be right in their own eyes but the Lord examines their heart. doesn't matter how you look to other people. doesn't matter what front you put on or mask you put on. I used, to, I used to say this to teenagers a lot when I was a youth pastor. Just because you can hide stuff from your parents doesn't mean that God is not watching. The same way for all of us. Just because you can hide things from certain people, certain circumstances. God knows everything. He's watching every bit of our lives. And then he says, the Lord is more pleased when we do what is right and just than when we offer sacrifices or when we go through the stuff of the, of the world, when we act like the Pharisees, when, when religion becomes the rule of the day, when church becomes the rule of the day instead of relationship with Jesus, real relationship with Jesus. You can go to church the rest of your life and still miss heaven. It's about knowing Jesus. Verse 30, no human wisdom or understanding or plan can stand against the Lord. I hold on to that. I just had some people asking me yesterday, do you feel, do you feel like you're ineffective when you go into the Capitol? I do. I feel very ineffective. Except that I know that no human wisdom or understanding or plan can stand against the Lord. So even if I can't see this stuff, even if I can't understand it, even if I, it looks like nothing is happening, but, but Jesus is not going to let their lies override his word. He is the victor of the battles. The horse is prepared for the day of the battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. So the, the third thing, I choose to fight every day. It's not always easy. You, you want to take time, you're just like, I can't. That was the biggest thing, Lynn and I talked about this. This is one of the biggest things that I dealt with the last three or four weeks, last three weeks really of going to the Capitol was you just get to a point where you're just worn down and you're fighting five, six, seven, eight bills a day, 10 bills a day, and you're getting up and you're fighting and arguing and, and um, you know, I, for me, speaking an hour, two hours. And then they vote ungodliness in and then we get to the next one and get up and do it all over again. Do that day after day after day. But I have to keep telling myself, but the Lord is the victor of all battles. I will not get weary in doing well. I will fight. I will fight for babies. In fact, when I say that, <clears throat> when I say that in the Capitol at the well, what I say is, because I didn't realize that this triggered them so bad, but it does. But uh, I say, I fight for black babies, for Asian babies, for Hispanic babies, for white babies, they lose their mind when I say that. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. If you were there, you would, you would see what I'm talking about. They, 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 their faces change. They get up and they'll start almost running down to the well to say something. That's what I do. So, I fight for the Lord at all times. Not me, not my battle, not my... Guys, this is where we have to figure this out in our spiritual walk. You have to figure it out in your personal walk. This is even a marriage issue. Fight the Lord's battle, not your battle. Right? I fight for the word of God. Not, not my words. I fight for God's word. My words are, are limited at best. 
I fight for the gospel to be heard. Why don't you stand with me? I tell you, the best way to fight is to fight with God's word. Remember, it's the sword. We have no other, we have no other um, offensive weapons mentioned in Scripture. We do have the sword of the Spirit, God's word. So fight. So let me pray for us. God, we submit ourselves to the King, the King of everything. That Jesus, you're the one that's in charge. You're the one that decides the rules of engagement. You're the one that decides what... what what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to do it. Lord, you even decide uh, the words that we're supposed to use or not. You decide whether we're supposed to be quiet or speak up. Lord, we submit to you that you that you give us the rules of engagement. Lord, we're not going to let Satan do that. We're not going to let Satan define this stuff. We're going to stand strong and we're going we're gonna to fight in the name of Jesus. You're the king. I'm not. I don't even have a kingdom. Nothing. You're the king. I submit to you, Jesus. You died on the cross so that I could stand for you. In the name of Jesus. So God, we ask you to wash us clean. When we go into work, that we go in there as somebody that, is, that belongs to you. We go into the marketplace. We go in there knowing that we belong to you. And that Jesus, that we get, we get righteously indignant when Satan tries to attack you. Your word, your truth, our family. And we need you. Jesus name. Keep your head bowed. Let me let me ask this question for you to just to kind of give us the opportunity to respond to this. If you say, you know what, I really do need to stand up and fight. I'm kind of been getting weak in this area or uh, not focused in here or, or wimpy or lazy or whatever the case may be. But you say I've got to I've got to fight, specifically in an arena that God's put in your spirit. I've got to stand up and fight. If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand real quick. Yeah. Yeah, quite a few of us. This is not something that happens once when we make one decision in life. We've got to always be making this decision. Lord, I'm going to stand. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. God, you see our hands. You know our hearts. God, and I believe that, that um, you see our desire to truly just fight. You see it. God, I want you to be in control. I don't want to try to do this by myself. I don't want to try to live the, the path that I set out. I want you to be in charge. And I think all over this room, you see our hearts. You know we want you to be in control. That you be God over our existence right now. That you be God over Monday morning in my life. And that, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to take a stand. Lord, for those here that um, it's, it's the workplace. God, give them the boldness. Give them the things to say and to do. Show them how to switch gears and and to to fall more in line with you and to take the stand that they need to take. God, whether it be in language or attitude or um, just loving people, God, help us to fight. Help us to fight with truth. Help us to fight with your word. Help us to fight with our own holiness and our life. Help us to fight. God, we thank you for this. We thank you so much because you truly are the victor of all battles. Every battle in this room, you are victorious. You are already victorious. We just have to reach out there in faith and accept you as in charge. In Jesus' name. God, and I pray that throughout this week, that as these moments come to us, that, uh, Lord, you will show it. You will show us. It will become very clear that this is one of those moments in the name of Jesus and that you are the victor and all we have to do is stand. Shine a light on those moments throughout this week and help us to see it. And we commit ourselves to you in the process. Thank you, Jesus.
Amen. So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity. Let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. He really does love them a lot. You don't have to make it up. Um, just tell them. Tell them that he loves them. And let God do something supernatural. It will, it will bless them and it will honor, God will honor that in your life. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are that they are here, even if you have to make it up. And we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.